0: Hey there, I want to begin this episode by simply saying Merry Christmas to you and your family wherever you are at. Man, this last 12-14 months has brought so many beautiful changes in our family. We have now a one-year-old granddaughter and we have a a 10-month-old granddaughter and we are looking forward to celebrating Christmas with these little ones again in the house and uh, enjoying the Christmas uh, holidays together as a family. So... Uh, we're we're super excited, and uh, it's just a special time of year for us. And I pray that wherever you're at, you're you're able to enjoy it as well. I know the holidays can sometimes be rough. It's not always pleasant. It's sometimes stressful. It's sometimes hard dealing with family can be difficult, particularly extended family, and sometimes it's a reminder of loss and pain and uh, family members who are no longer with you or whatever it is. And so the holidays can be this weird mixture of. Good and bad and pleasant and hard. And so, wherever you're at, I pray uh, that you have a grace filled Christmas this year, and that in some way and in some measure you can experience the goodness and the glory and the grace of Jesus and what his coming has meant to your life and to our world. So, Merry Christmas to you and to yours, wherever you're at. We have been walking through a special Christmas series on the Bible and Life podcast, just really in detail, trying to go through the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. Luke 2 is the most well-known Bible passage that tells the birth of Jesus. And sometimes we're so familiar with our traditional pictures of the Christmas story that we miss the actual details of the story as told in the Bible, and so I thought this year we would just take a few episodes and walk down through that that well-known passage, and so today we are in... The final portion of the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, the birth of Jesus, what we have looked at in the first episode was really the historical background, the historical setting that serves as the backdrop for this story, the way Luke has told it. Caesar, Augustus, and Quirinius, and a a tax census, and Mary and Joseph thus traveling to uh, their, at least Joseph's original hometown in Bethlehem. And So we've looked at all of that, and then in episode 2 we... We talked about how uh, sometimes our traditional picture is wrong. That Jesus just wasn't born in a barn. Most likely, he was born in a home. A traditional village home where the animals were kept at night, and that's where he was because there wasn't any room, not in an inn, but a guest room. We talked about that in last week's episode. If you haven't listened to that, you might want to check that out for those details. And today, in this episode, we come to the well-known part about the shepherds, and it's really the culmination of the story in Luke chapter 2. Up to this point, we've had Caesar Augustus we've had the tax census we've had Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem we've had the birth of Jesus putting him into uh, the manger the feeding trough there in the house and now we get the royal announcement like every king deserves some sort of big announcement of his arrival or his coming uh, it was common in the ancient world to uh, announce the the you know the heir apparent to the emperor's throne and and so every king needs that and that's what we get here. We get the the announcement that the king has been born. Alright, and so let's jump in, walk down through this, we'll look at some of the details of this, and then we'll offer some concluding reflections to really the whole Christmas story here in Luke chapter 2. So we're picking up in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, that says, Now, in the same region, in the same area, that is in the hills around the little town of Bethlehem, we're outside of Jerusalem, just a handful of miles. Bethlehem is a very small little uh, town out in the hill country. And so, in those hills around Bethlehem, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. All right, and so here is the setup for the big announcement. We have some shepherds staying out in the field, so it's, they're keeping the night watches. Someone's got to watch the sheep at night, and so the sheep have been grazing during the day, and now they're, they're brought in for the night, and so the, someone's got to keep watch over them. The shepherds are out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night, so it's nighttime. And we have shepherds, shepherds. Why shepherds? Who are the shepherds? What do we know about shepherds? Let's think this through. Some have suggested, oh, shepherds were despised. The problem with that is that all the writings about that and all the evidence for that is much later than the New Testament time period. And so probably that evidence isn't best. Um, In fact, in the Bible, uh, shepherds are continually spoken of at least in a positive way, except when they're described as bad shepherds, right? But the shepherding vocation isn't a despised vocation in the Bible. In fact, the well-known psalm, Psalm 23, "...the Lord is my shepherd." Right, Israel's kings are described as shepherds, and they're supposed to shepherd God's people. When they do it God's way, they're good shepherds. When Israel's kings don't take care of or shepherd God's people God's way, they're bad shepherds. Think of Ezekiel thirty-four and the call for um, the kings to actually shepherd God's people the way God wants them to, and they're bad shepherds because they don't. Israel's greatest king. David himself was a shepherd. He was the youngest of seven brothers, right, and called out of the, the pasture and then anointed as king. He was a shepherd. In fact, Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. And so I don't think, biblically speaking, we should see these shepherds as despised, but we should see them as lowly, ordinary, commoners shepherds tended to be towards the bottom of the social ladder in some regard and so we're talking about lowly shepherds all right just ordinary commoners who were the people of the land all right that's who these shepherds are they're not the type of people you would expect to get a special announcement about the birth of a king yet alone a special announcement from angels about the birth of god's king they're they're just not that that kind of people um And while we're talking about shepherds, how do you picture them? How do you picture these shepherds? Usually, I think we picture them as adult males in robes with beards, right? That's usually how we picture them, it seems to me. And yet, the reality is most shepherds in uh, Israel at this time were young. They were youths. They were teens, right? They they were young, young boys. Young sometimes even girls. Uh, you don't even have to think of them as male. Think of like Rachel in the Old Testament, who was a shepherdess, um, and so they don't even have to be male. They they could be female, right? We don't know. We're not told. We're just told shepherds, um, and we do know that most likely they're probably youths. All right. So think young young boys, maybe girls, um, and typically at night, shepherds would move all the animals into some sort of enclosure, usually made out of stone, so that the animals were uh, all together and protected for the night. So you have all these, shepherd, or these sheep moved into some sort of stone enclosure for the night, and you have the shepherds now um, keeping night watch to make sure the sheep are protected for the night. Um Some have suggested that these sheep are being raised for temple sacrifices because we're in the proximity of Jerusalem, but the text doesn't tell us that, and there's no evidence that the only sheep ever raised in this area were raised for temple sacrifices, none. So it's speculative, possible, the text doesn't say we don't know, right? So we just have shepherds and sheep out in the fields at night. Now, yeah, continuing on with the story, verse 9, and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. So, here they are, it's night, it's quiet, that's how we need to picture it, right? Um, and all of a sudden, boom, the, the night is interrupted with a Bright light display, that's the glory of the Lord. It usually means there's some sort of lights involved, right? So brightness all of a sudden breaks the darkness and the quiet of night. And there's an angel standing there, not in the sky, as sometimes we picture it, but standing there on the ground right in front of them. He came to them. So we, we should picture him right there in front of them, uh, this angel. And the angel said to oh, and they were terribly frightened, which literally in Greek is they feared a mega-fear. All right, they feared a mega fear. Like, and you, you can understand why. Like Here you are, it's quiet, and you're just watching your sheep. You're keeping your eyes open for any predators or any animals. But overall, it's a pretty chill night. And then, bam, massive lights. All of a sudden, there's this angel there. And boom, they get the shock of their life. And they're startled and shocked. And they're fearing a mega fear, a great fear. And the angel said to them, don't be afraid. Pretty standard opening line for angels when you read your Bible. Angels aren't cute, soft, cuddly little things that you, you, know, you don't, aren't afraid of in the Bible. They're powerful, strong, terrifying beings that uh, need, you, you need reassurance from. And so, don't be afraid, he says. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. Just notice the phrase, bring you good news that phrase represents one Greek word. And that one Greek word is the word we get our word evangelize or evangelism from. It's the word to announce good news. And the reason that's so important here is this, is one of the major ways that word was used in the ancient world was for a royal announcement of good news, a new king was born, or uh, the king is coming to town, or the king has accomplished some great victory it was commonly used for some sort of royal announcement. That's very appropriate here. And so we're having uh, the gospel being announced. We're having good news being announced. We're having some sort of proclamation about the king, some sort of royal announcement. So I bring you good news. This good news will bring great joy um, uh, for all the people, Um, probably initially all the people of Israel, all the people of Jews, but eventually for all mankind. So this will be good news of great joy for all the people. Verse 11 For today, this very day, at some point earlier in the day, in the city of David, that is Bethlehem, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Notice that, that this Savior is described as Christ. Lord to make sure we're not just talking about any general deliverer any general res- you know rescuer this is this is the big one this is the the messiah this is the lord himself this is a savior who is messiah and lord and that word christ that's what it means is messiah um, and so now recall all the history we talked about in the very first episode of this Christmas series, right the, the exile and then the return from exile and then all those prophecies that have been given how God's not done with the Jews and he's going to fulfill his promises and there will be a shoot from the stump of David to come, right A king coming from the from David's you know cut off line that um, there is going to be a Messiah and all those poetic prophecies and the longing for all those to be filled, fulfilled and yet now still a Roman oppression we're returned and we have a temple again but God's glory hasn't filled in all that longing and all that angst and all that wanting for God to write the final chapter in their story and for God to finally act to fulfill his promises and his prophecies to them right well now with this line from the angel to these lowly shepherds out in this field around Bethlehem all of a sudden it's been told, the big moment is here. This is not just any Savior, this is the Savior. This is the Messiah. Uh, this is the Lord. And that word Christ, Messiah, means anointed one. It's not It's not just a general title, that's what it means. It's anointed one, anointed as king. The great king is coming. The great king has been born. That's what this announcement says. And it's been, He's been born, notice, in the city of David. Uh, That is Bethlehem. And again, um, I'm assuming these shepherds would know this. We may not. But Bethlehem, uh, Micah chapter 5 in the Old Testament. Micah the prophet had written these words about Bethlehem. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephathra, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. That day has come. Now, here in the city of Bethlehem, this ruler is coming, this ruler that will be for all the people. Well, with that big announcement, now the angel points out to the shepherds, here's how you will identify the baby. This will be a sign for you, verse 12. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, standard fare, lying in a manger. That's a little different. So, you will find this baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And so, Go to Bethlehem is the the implication. And everyone will know if a baby's been born. It's a small town in a communal culture. They will know that the baby's been told. You can ask around. They'll tell you which house. It's down the road at this house. And so go down to Bethlehem and figure it out. And so suddenly now um, there appears with this one angel a multitude of the heavenly host, an entire army of angels praising God and saying, verse 14, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And so, let there be glory to God in the highest places and in the highest realms, and on earth let there be shalom, harmony, peace with men on whom God's favor rests, on whom God has called to himself, with whom God is pleased. Those, in other words, who are God's people, let them be marked by peace. Just a couple notes here that are really important in the historical background. This kind of language is... Again, royal language. It's the kind of propaganda that Caesar Augustus would use for himself. Like everyone knew that Caesar had brought peace to the the world, right? That that was proclaimed all the great peace of Rome, the Pax Romana, and Caesar was the one that had brought that to the realm. He was the savior of the world and the savior of the empire. That's the way Caesar was described. So when you have the angels saying these kinds of things about this little baby in Bethlehem in a manger. This is anti-imperial propaganda at its finest. Um, Caesar claimed to be Savior. Caesar claimed to be Lord. He was the king. He was the one who had brought peace to the realm. And here the angels are saying, you know that's not true, right? That's why we Jews are longing. You know that's not true. But here's the true king. Here's the true bringer of peace. Here's the true savior. And so this language in a very real way is anti-imperial propaganda. God's king, the true king, the real king of the universe. He's come, the real savior and the real bringer of peace. He's been born in Bethlehem today. And so when the angels had gone away from them back into heaven, the shepherds began to say to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so quickly they, they decide, we're going in. I imagine, purely a speculative guess, the text doesn't tell us, but somebody had to stay behind and keep an eye on the sheep. Even though they all wanted to go, I'm guessing some unlucky shepherd got the short end of the stick And had to stay behind and at least stay with the sheep. They couldn't leave the sheep unattended, could they? Maybe in this moment they were like, forget the sheep. And they they all go, possibly, I don't know. But it would be really a bummer to be that one unlucky shepherd, if there was one, that had to stay behind. And so they arranged this plan to go to Bethlehem to see this thing. And so they hustle into town, verse 16. They came in a hurry. And they found their way to Mary and Joseph. They ask around, where was a baby born today? And they are told, they're given directions, boom, they find the place where the baby is, the house where the baby is. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. In other words, they said to Mary and Joseph, angels came and they told us that this little baby is the Savior. He's Messiah. He's the Lord. They, they gave them that word. That's what they were told. They passed that on. They shared the story. We're watching the sheep. And here's what's going on. And boom, bright lights. And then there's this angel. And this is what we've been told about this little baby. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. And everyone was amazed and marveled at this. Who is this little baby? Who is this little one lying in that house? And now, Mary, verse 19, treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. In other words, Mary's holding this close at hand. She's thinking all this through. She's wondering what it all means. She's wondering where it's all going to go. Right? It's, it's easy for us, in hindsight, to look back and think, Mary had all the pieces and had all the answers, but she didn't. Right? She She knew that Uh, This baby was a miracle baby. She knew that he had been deemed the Messiah. She knew that he was going to be called Son of the Most High, but she didn't fully know what that would mean. Um, She knew what uh, Elizabeth, her relative, said when she went to visit her about this baby. Uh, Now she knows what the shepherds say about this baby. And So Mary is pondering all this, thinking all this through, putting the pieces together and As any mom, she's amazed as a little child, but she's got extra amazement because it's like, who is this little baby? And what does all this mean? And how is it all going to play out? And she'll get a few more messages in just a week or so's time as she goes into the temple. Mary is pondering all this, thinking all this through, storing all this up, contemplating it all and putting all the pieces together about her little one. And the shepherds then, after they came for the visit, they went back back to the hillside, back to their sheep, and they went back glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told to them. Mary, Joseph, the baby, the manger, they saw it all and they were amazed and they praised God and glorified God that they had been let in on all of this. So there you have it, the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. It opens with Caesar Augustus, with all his power and might, and propaganda, issuing a decree that uh, affects all these people all over the realm. He has his propaganda that he's savior, he's peace bringer, he's lord, he's king. But there in a small village home, in the little town of Bethlehem, in the hills at the fringe of Caesar's empire, God's king entered the world as a baby, vulnerable and helpless. And as appropriate to his royal status, he came with pomp and fanfare, lights and glory and a royal announcement, just not to the right people by human estimation. The announcement was made to average, ordinary common folks, young folk even, shepherds out on a hillside, because as this very king Jesus will say later, in his kingdom, the first will be last, but the last be first. And so it begins right here with people who were at the bottom all of a sudden being given the honor of being the first to know that the Messiah has been born. And you know, one of the things that's that's ironic to me is this. The most well-known words about Caesar Augustus are found in the record of this lowly king's birth, right? Like here in Luke 2 is the most well-known words about Caesar Augustus. And they're in the The words of this little lowly king's birth. And how fitting that is, since this king, born this way, and going to die eventually a a criminal's death, he intends to subvert all the kings and all the kingdoms of this world. The world's way is political muscle, but God's way is humble, self-giving love. And that's what we see here in the Christmas story, like this scene opens up Luke's gospel. This is the this is the opening scene for the entire story of Jesus, but that story as it unfolds is going to culminate with this king hanging on a Roman cross. And it looks like Caesar has won. It looks like the kingdoms of this world have won. It looks like evil has has its way, right? But no. God vindicates Jesus by raising him from the dead and seating him on David's throne as king of kings and lord of lords. And now he reigns as a king for all people. And that, my friends, is good news of great joy. Have a Merry Christmas, my friends, and we will talk again soon.